Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. My name is uh, Ron, and I am the pastor here at Vital Point Church. And uh, I want to say a welcome to all of you as well. It is so good to be uh, together online. And uh, we're a church that really loves to walk with people as they explore and grow in faith. And so, like was said earlier in the service, if you are new, we are really excited you are here, and we hope that you feel welcome. And if you are a regular part of Vital Point Church, we are thrilled that you are here as well, which is awesome. And uh, you're continuing to make Sunday special, even though we are meeting only online right now. And uh, it is a, just an encouraging thing to be able to do this and to be able to join together as a church. Earlier this year in January, I did a three-part series for our church that talked about three priorities. These three priorities were going to influence um, our teaching series. They were going to influence our discussions within our connect groups, which are these groups that meet during the week, these smaller communities. Uh, Right now, they're only meeting online, but uh, we were recognizing that we needed to have a clear set of priorities for this year ahead, because when our priorities are clear, then we can know how to move forward, know how to make some decisions. We talked about formation. We talked about this idea of our lives being formed in Christ. And uh, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, there's a phrase that we often use that our lives are in Christ and the fulfillment of all the things that are in Christ are available to us. And, and so we talked about rhythms and patterns that form that relationship in Jesus. We talked about obedience. One of the things that we wanted to do is call people to greater depth or greater depth of obedience in their walk with Jesus. And so at times it feels like we push a little bit harder than normal. And we also talked about engagement. We recognize that the Christian faith is not something that we do on our own. It's not something that we try to muster up some enthusiasm, some energy, and some excitement. But yet our faith is built on a relationship with Jesus formed by the Holy Spirit of God. And we believe that the Holy Spirit of God is one that forms our lives, one that we engage with as he guides us, as he directs our lives, as he reveals to us what it is that we are to be living in and through. And then also the beauty and the wonder of this is that when we begin to learn what it means to walk in a formed, obedient life, then that life engages the world around it. And so you're not left to your own, you're left to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, and we're super excited about how that looks in our lives. Now, I, I bring us to those three priorities this morning, mainly because today I'm going to be talking more about obedience. I'm going to be talking about obedience, and the reason why I have a bit of heaviness about this conversation today is because on Wednesday night, from 2 a.m. to 4.30 a.m., uh, I was in a bit of a wrestling match with God. 
I believe that God is having me say and do some things today and take us to some places today that I know are going to be difficult for some of us. And so I was really wrestling with some of the things that I was sensing that I had to say, uh, areas that I had to go in. And to be honest with you, I kind of wish at times God would wrestle with me in the daytime so that I could actually sleep, and that would be wonderful. But yet I found myself on Wednesday night from 2 a.m. to 4.30 a.m. wrestling with these things. I say that very cautiously as well, because I recognize that saying that sets up the, the, the expectation for this message. Uh, it sets up an expectation of you, because uh, I don't know if you've ever had this or not, but sometimes when people come and say to me, God told me, God told me, um, I, I respect the fact that God does speak to us, but when people say that on, on the regular, it's kind of like I feel so inadequate. I wish God would actually speak to me the way they speak to them, because I think sometimes God does speak more through silence. So I hesitantly tell you that, that I wrestled with God from 2 a.m. to 4.30 a.m., just, uh, just as putting things on the table. So... Um, let's enter into this conversation today and see where it lands. We are in this series called Identity Crisis. And last week we, uh, uh, before I do the recap, today where I want to go is I want to talk about what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? How is a person's faith defined by a now but not yet future? How is a person's identity shaped by a now but not yet future? And we're going to talk about that and we're going to unpack that for us. But recap, kind of got to do a bit of a really good recap for us. Last week, if you missed this conversation, I hope you go back and watch it. it, we talked about what does it mean to be a child of God adopted into the family of God? We went to this writings uh, called Ephesians, this letter called Ephesians, written by this guy, the Apostle Paul. We're going to look at another letter written by him as well today. But he talked about this idea of all the spiritual blessings that are available to us as heirs of God, this adopted into the family of God. Now, we had to be clear on this, that a person isn't just simply adopted by God into his family. There is a process that takes shape in what is called being born again. John chapter 3, Jesus talks about this idea of being born again, where we are regenerated into this new life in Christ, and we we find our identity in him. But with that comes this beautiful image of being adopted as as a child of God. We unpacked that in two ways. One was you didn't have to wait until you matured and got your life cleaned up in order to experience the fullness and the blessings that God offers to a follower of Jesus. That's the beauty of this. You're adopted as as if you're an adult child of God, which is super cool and super important for your identity. And we also talked about this idea of family. See, the family is a place where our faith is formed. We in our Western mindset oftentimes worship ourselves as individualism is rampant in our Western culture. And so we often interpret everything through the Christian faith through worship of self, like ideas of you be you, true to you, all those type of things are a form of worshiping self and individualism. So we talked about your faith is formed in family, and this family is brothers and sisters in relationship to Jesus, and even though they might be weird and wonky and have warts, there's still elements of understanding that our faith is formed, and the depth of that faith is formed as a child of God in the family of God. And so this is a critical piece as we step into today's conversation because it really sets the tone. 
See, if you're not clear on your identity as a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're thinking about it, contemplating it, you've been feeling a bit of the tug and the pull, you understand very quickly that the identity matters. Because when our identity is clear, it is the place in which we live from. It is the place in which we experience the fullness of what God has for us, and it's a critical part of our journey of faith. Today, I want to talk about a faith that is formed now by a future reality. What does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? I want to take you to a letter called Philippians, written by a guy named the Apostle Paul. If you're not familiar with the Apostle Paul, God used the Apostle Paul to expand the, the kingdom of heaven beyond the Jewish nation but into the Gentiles. And he, we experience, we're here today as a result of his work, his writings, and so on. He wrote this to, a, uh, to uh, a church in Philippi that was launched in the book of Acts, and he had a hand in developing it and moving it forward. And he wrote this letter to them, and we're going to see very clearly in this part of, uh, of Philippians, we're going to look at section 3 in just a moment, where we begin to see some powerful truths that are going to shape our lives now. And so let me read it for you, and, and we're going to explore it. We're going to roll around in it a little bit and see what truths land for us today. Because I am convinced that God is going to take these things, shape them, mold them for exactly where you are at in your journey of faith. So let's read it uh, together. It should come up on the screen. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. It says this, Dear brothers and sisters, Pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before and say it again with tears in my eyes that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about things, only this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. We get new bods. It's going to be great. Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. What is happening here? What is going on? At first pass, we can kind of see some surface level things. But what I believe we see in this part of the writings of Paul is we begin to see his heartbeat. We begin to see his passion for these people that are in this particular church. Now, a few things to observe. One is, right off the top, it would seem that Paul is pretty arrogant and pretty bold in saying, follow my example. I mean, who in their right mind would ever say something like that to a group of people? Oh, don't follow me. You don't want to get yourself in more trouble. Paul is actually doing something that's very current and very relevant for the particular listeners to his letter. Because what you need to know is, is that these people didn't have multiple copies of the scriptures. They didn't have multiple, they didn't like go home with their own copy of the Bible. And so of the day, after a particular religious person of faith. And so Paul is doing something very natural. He's inviting them into this place. It's, it's almost like 
He says, my life is like a letter to you as what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So follow this. Follow my example and the example of those who follow me. It's very common and very normal for him to do that and to express that. Now, what you begin to see is the exposure and the passion of Paul's pastoral heart for these people. He says, I write this. I've said this before, but I'm going to say this again. But he defines it with tears in his eyes. It's the tone. It's understanding that he's about to enter into something that's going to be difficult to hear, something that they are going to feel a little bit uncomfortable with. I love this because, you know, I know that not everyone watching this is a pastor, but I get this from my own experience as a pastor of a local church. There are times that your desire and passion for people to understand what it means to live out the faith, the Christian faith, often is more than the individuals want for themselves. Oftentimes, as a pastor, you see areas of people's lives that you wish they would just get it. And so there's a, there's a passion, there's a desire, there's a longing. I understand this completely because there are times when I see this in my own life. I see this as I watch other people live out their faith and not that I'm judging, I'm observing and I'm desiring and I'm wishing. That's the pastoral shepherd heart of Paul. With tears, I shed these tears. And then he does something most interesting. He enters into two descriptions of people within the context of the church. And that you have to keep in mind. He's speaking to the church. He's not speaking to those outside of the church. He's speaking to the people in the church. So he's talking to followers of Jesus. And he says this. I want to read it for us again in verses 18 and 19. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. We talked about that. That there are many whose conduct... Their patterns of life, their behavior, show that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Okay. Paul is dropping the hammer here. Paul is saying, there are some of you that are conducting your lives, the behaviors of your lives demonstrate that you are actually an enemy of the cross. Wow. Can you imagine what that would have been like to hear that and to experience that? See, what Paul is drawing on is a group of people that are outside of the church. Uh, Some of the commentators and some of the theologians and, and good thinkers about this refer to them as Judaizers. These are these people outside of the church that are trying to say that the, that in order to be a good person before God, there are particular religious behaviors, patterns of food in which you eat, and physical patterns of behaviors that you have and rituals that are the only things that matter. And he just, and those people who are outside of the church are those who are enemies of the cross. Why? Because their God is their appetite, they do shameful things, and they're distorting the message of grace. I love the fact that Paul brings them back to the cross. Why? 
He brings them back to the cross. It's because the message of the cross is the defining factor of their Christian faith. The, the cross represents God's love for humanity. God's love is demonstrated through the cross. It is a symbol that has represented God's redemptive work of restoring humanity and all of creation into a right relationship with God. The cross reveals the glory of God. The cross reveals the love of God. The cross is about Jesus laying down his life as a demonstration of his desire to be made right with humanity in this phrase which is called born again. He centralizes the cross for them again. He brings them back to the truth of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And what he does is, he says, this cross is the thing that should shape and mold you, but what is happening is, is your conduct, your your life is actually demonstrated from an earthly mindset. I want you to keep that thought in your mind. An earthly mindset. The earthly mindset is defined as appetite, shameful things, only thinking about things of the li- of life on earth. Now, when you think about what he's doing there, he's saying the things that you give the priority to. That's what he's talking about here. You give priority to certain things, they will shape you. And the thing is, that's so incredible about this and, and why I think this identity series is so important is to understand that there are times in our lives where the things of this earth look really good. And it's, and we get that. We desire to have and to invest and, and so on and so forth. And they're not bad. They're not bad at all, but they can be tricky because Oftentimes, they look really good, they trick us and deceive us, and they distract us in our identity. Let me explain to you something that happened to me just a couple weeks ago. I was watching a hockey game, and I, uh, I was watching a hockey game, and I was watching it in real time, so I hadn't recorded it, so I had to persevere through commercials. Anyone tired of persevering through commercials? Especially of the Netflix world, we don't watch commercials anymore, but I was persevering. And what was interesting was uh, a commercial came on for uh, the Lotto 649. The lottery commercial came on. And I've never played the lottery before. I've never bought a ticket before. I'm quite sure I wouldn't even know how to buy one or anything like that. But what was interesting about the commercial was they were selling a feeling of what it would be like to actually win the lottery. And it was tempting. I sat there and I thought, I'm missing out. But then I realized, oh my goodness, they weren't selling me the idea that there was a very slim chance of me ever winning. They weren't selling me the fact that uh, it's possible that uh, like a high percentage of people that win the lottery, it actually ruins their lives. Their families are destroyed. Oftentimes they end up in some form of bankruptcy and so on and so forth. It doesn't talk about where the money actually comes from on the back of others who've actually bought these tickets. No, it was selling a feeling. It was an appetite. See, we have a desire within all of us for understanding what it means to live out of purpose and meaning and all those things. And so what happens is sometimes these things of the earth are enticing. We are drawn to them. And it's not that you're a bad person or I'm a bad person. It's just the reality of what it means to be human. It's the pull. It's the longing. See, 
There are times in our lives that we are depending upon the things of this earth to give us the things that only God can give us. And so we get drawn in, we get pulled in, believing that that thing, that next thing, that investment, that purchase will give us what God wants for us. And it's very much a consumer mentality. And this is the pull that we all experience. See, Jesus even talked about this. Jesus got in on the action of understanding the earthly mindset where he said one time in, in uh, I believe it's Mark chapter 8, where he talked about this idea of clinging on to our lives but losing it. We can gain the things of this world and lose our souls. See, Paul is painting a picture for us to help us understand that if we are living only for the things of this earth, our conduct will demonstrate that we're enemies of the cross, but he also refers to this word destruction. It's this word losing. There is a loss. The the destruction is talking, it's it's an interesting word because we can kind of get messed up with it. It's a word that talks about Loss now, but also in eternity. There's an element of understanding of losing out on. That's the word destruction. And he's talking about the conduct and behavior with an earthly mindset. And it it sets up really well. It sets up really well for us as we transition to the second part of understanding what Paul is talking about. So he paints this ugly picture of, of the conduct of an earthly mindset. And he's speaking, don't forget who he's talking to. He's talking to the church at Philippi. And he's talking to believers. And then he goes into verse 20. I need to read it for us again. He says, but, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. Okay, this is, this is important, and I'm, I'm super excited about this, because at first pass, we could shrug our shoulders and go, great, citizens of heaven, what does it mean? Paul, in a moment of brilliance, under the direction of the Holy Spirit in his writing this letter, taps into something that the church at Philippi would have understood, would have grasped. It was almost like, it was like, oh, moment. Here's what I mean. You may not know this, or some of you who are you know, scholarly about the Bible may know this, but Philippi was actually part of Rome. The citizenship was Rome. It was, it was the highest possible standing colony outside of Rome, which brought great honor to this particular city. And just so we're clear, it wasn't like Philippi was just around the corner. Philippi, I Google mapped it, is, was actually almost 1,300 kilometers away from Italy. This is important. The massive distance between these two particular cities identified the people in Philippi, and so they, their lives were shaped by Rome. Their public life was shaped by Rome. Their citizenship was shaped by Rome. Their understanding of what it meant to be a child born in Philippi to have their citizenship as Rome. It's an important dynamic that is taking shape here. It's an element that they were getting. There was a distant city that formed how they lived their lives. Matter of fact, a group of collective people, a body of people, regulated how people lived in Philippi, how they expressed themselves. It also carries with it this idea 
people of exile or foreigners. So yes, they were citizens of Philippi. Yes, they lived in that space, but yet there was a distant land that shaped how they lived. Fascinating. They were shaped in the now by a different location. We also see in the description of what Paul is writing about here, he's talking about it from a present tense. This is so amazing. The citizenship was now. It wasn't some future realm or possibility. What Paul is doing is so important for our citizenship as citizens of heaven. He's drawing us to this place to help us understand that if you are a follower of Jesus, you live as a citizen of heaven now. That This place in which you're living is influenced by a future reality. So when you think about the citizenship of the people of Philippi, they were drawing on a distant land that drew out who they were. When they traveled, when they expressed themselves, when they lived their lives, it was evidence that they were citizens of Rome, even though they were not in Rome. Let that drop for just a second into your mind and into your heart as you think about the dynamics of what it means to be a citizen of heaven. What does it mean to have dual citizenship? What does it mean to be a citizen of earth and a citizen of heaven? What does it mean to be living in one place shaped by another? It is the hope of the Christian message. It is the dynamic of which we live in and out of. He says it. He says it in verse 20 and 21. We're citizens, we wait, we eagerly await the return of our Savior. And then he says, and he'll take our weak bodies and change them into a glorious image using the same power for which we will bring about this new reality of our lives. What he's saying is this, is that when you live as a citizen of heaven, your life is influenced here and now, which changes the dynamic of how you see your life and what you are going through in your life. I need that to drop deep inside of all of us because it's a game changer. It changes how we see time. It changes how we see place. I want to talk about time and place for just a second. See, time and place has a significant part of your life and my life, okay? Um, This may not work, but it's just a silly, simple little illustration of time and place. Uh, A while ago, my wife and I were walking on a beach, and we had our dog, and our dog we had her off lead. No one was around. And our dog was consumed with time and place. What I mean by that was she would go to a a place, and in that time, she was focused on just what was right there. And then she went to another time and place, and she was focused just on there. All the while, each one was moving her down the path of the beach, leading us somewhere. See, Time and place of an earthly mindset can be drawn into things of simply just this earth that we live on, right? So we think about the material things we talked about a few moments ago that can draw us into time and place. When time and place for a citizen of heaven makes us more aware of his presence now. 
See, time and place is available as a citizen of heaven to be aware of the presence of God in each and every moment of your day, when you're driving in your car, when you're interacting with your neighbors, when you're making decisions at work. As a citizen of heaven, it changes everything. It changes time and place, being more aware of the presence of God. For me, I that when that thought came to me this week, it was mind-blowing because I race from moment to moment in my life, and I'm oftentimes not aware of the presence of God because I believe it's... I'm just trying to get ahead, move fast, and, and I'm trying, what I'm trying to do with time and place is I'm trying to slow down in order as a citizen of heaven to experience the presence of God. But not only that, it changes how we see pain. It changes how we see sorrow in our lives. It changes how we see grief. See, so oftentimes, we get so consumed with pain, we get so consumed with sorrow, we get so consumed with whatever is right in front of us, and what ends up happening is, is those particular things shape us in the moment. And the reality is, if a future reality, if a future thing of the truth and the hope as a citizen of heaven is that there's an an awareness of Jesus, that means I go through these moments different, I respond different to them. Like, this is, this is so evident right now. It's so evident right now that many of us are more walking towards fear than we are faith. And by no means am I pointing fingers, because I understand this, that what we're facing and what we're going through in this life, and, and I mean, even a friend of mine today, uh, Mark, who was on stage here today, he says, how's your anxiety level right now? And I said, I'm doing pretty good. There's a reality of understanding that. There's certain levels of fear, and many have wa- heard or watched the announcement on Friday in Ontario, and, and there's elements of this, and, and, and it changes how we hear and how we see things. It's not that we're not frustrated or, or uh, mad at times, but there's an element of seeing pain and sorrow and crisis differently, and we enter into these moments, and we go through them differently. Our future shapes our present. Now, What do we do in this? What do we do in this as it relates to how Paul can actually raise the bar and say there's an earthly mindset and there's a heavenly mindset? What does Paul do to bring about an awareness of this? Why can Paul say this to us? Why does he say it to them and how can we explore this truth for us today? Well, it's how he lived his life, right? We already determined this. He says, follow my example. What's his example? Ah, Glad you asked, because we can go back further in the section of Philippians chapter 3, and we can actually see something that reveals how he can challenge us this way. Look at this, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. He's talking about maturity and, and full devotion. He's owning the fact that he is in process. He says this, but I press on to possess the, that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Then he says this, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Oh boy, are you ready? Paul recognizes one important truth as a citizen of heaven, and it's this. 
we will all stand before God one day and give an account of our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will stand before God and give an account for how you lived. This is not an account of get into heaven or not. That's not what we're talking about here. That's taken care of through Christ. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You are are standing before God and all the perfection within Christ because of what Christ has done for you. But you can give an account. See, Paul uses language here. It's um, Olympic language. When he talks about this idea of I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize, what he's talking about there is Olympic games. It's Olympic game language. And each athlete would stand before a judge and they would, uh, the judge would determine whether or not that athlete uh, played within the rules or not. And if they did and they accomplished that particular uh, discipline of that Olympic game, then what they would get is a reward. They would get a medal for that particular thing. And so they would stand before the judge and receive their reward. See, the question that begins to rise up in the midst of this conversation around being a citizen of heaven is recognizing that we have to look at our lives and ask the question, am I living more for the things of this earth or am I living more for the things of eternity? Because we're all going to give an account. I will. And you will. Paul says, my future reality shapes my now. He says, I forget the past. And it's not a forget as a mental game of ignoring it. That's not what he's doing. But he says, my future reality shapes my now because there's going to come a day I'm going to give an account. I've debated sharing the story with you. I've got permission to share this story. And I believe I need to share it. Because it demonstrates what it means to be a citizen of heaven. I got a call last fall from a woman in our church. She's in her mid-70s. She's on a fixed income. I talked to her almost every other day. Last year, during the pandemic, she would call almost every other day. We'd spend a few minutes and we would talk and we would pray. She called me in tears. She's broken, absolutely broken. I said, I don't know what's wrong. She said to me that her fixed income was changing and she wasn't sure if she was going to be able to pay rent next month. We talked through that, what we could do how we could help. And then something happened in the midst of the conversation that shocked me. Through her tears, she said, Ron, I don't think I'm going to be able to tithe this month, my offering. Now, you need to know, as a pastor, I've never had this in my entire life as my pastoral career. I've never had anyone call in tears saying they were never going to be able to tithe because they couldn't pay their rent. And we talked through that and what that would look like. More often times, it's people 
saying they've forgotten. And, and she faithfully, like, I, I, this is not the point of the conversation, but she faithfully, even in this pandemic when we're not in person, has mailed her offering in every single month. And when she misses a month, she doubles up. It's just incredible. And she's inspiring to me. And she doesn't make any excuses. And then she said something in the midst of it that revealed why she was in tears. She said, Ron, I just want God to know how much I love him. I had to do everything I could to hold myself together because I realized in this moment this 75-year-old woman was teaching me what it meant to love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and all of my strength. Jesus talked about the reality of living as citizens of heaven through our treasure. In Matthew 6, he talks about our treasure and our hearts following our treasure. And and I saw in this woman in our church what it meant to be living with her heart towards eternity. And I guess for me, as I think about wrapping up this conversation before we go to our closing song where I believe God's going to speak more to to us today. I want to ask you a question. What are you building your life towards? Is it towards having or is it towards being? There's nothing wrong with thinking about your retirement. There's nothing wrong with about nothing wrong with pursuing things in, in this life. There's nothing wrong. The Bible doesn't talk about those things being wrong. What he talks about is the priority of these things. There's going to be a refining fire process when we give an account for our lives and the things that are done as citizens of heaven for eternal perspective, those are the things that will last. Those are the things that will go forward with us. Do I fully understand what that means? No. But by faith, I'm trusting that the way I'm living my life will be prioritized towards one thing. So I ask you, what is your one thing right now? What is it? What is that one thing? Let me put it this way. Could you say to someone, hey, follow my example? I'm not talking about it in an arrogant, silly way. I'm just talking about with all humility, all grace. Could your life, could you say, follow me? Follow my example. What I love about the challenge that Paul has given to us is that it's really forcing us to look in the mirror. It's really forcing us to ask ourselves, what are we really living for? I know for me personally, the wrestling match with God over this, the heaviness of this conversation was because he was doing this work in me again. And I had to ask those questions again. How am I spending my time? How am I spending my resources, my energy? What am I moving towards? Will you do the same?